There are certain philosophers and thinkers that are really popular with my generation. And I think the reason they're popular is because of their authenticity. So one of these is Jean-Paul Sartre and the existentialists. Now, he's been popular for a while. He's been popular since he was writing in the 40s and 50s. But what's interesting about him and many of the existentialists and then many of those who reply to the existentialists, like the phenomenologists, is they're very focused on trying to begin with the raw, unfiltered human experience. What is the raw, unfiltered human experience? Well, we find ourselves in existence. Here we are. We exist. And what's that experience like? It's not perfect. No matter who you are, whether you were brought up with the concept of sin or not, every human person finds that there are struggles and difficulties in this life. We come into existence, and we know that we've come into an imperfect existence. Now, Vatican I argued that every single person has a natural knowledge of God. So we come into existence, we know ourselves, and we feel in ourselves an imperfection. We also know that there is a creator, and that there is some barrier between us and the creator. And so the default base human experience that is shared between all people in all times and all eras is, I find myself in existence, I find myself apart from my creator, I find myself in some level of imperfection. So if this is the base, default, foundational human experience, what is the greatest news that, that can be given to a human person? What is the most joyful idea that we can have? It is what's given to us in the prophet Zephaniah. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. We find ourselves in existence apart from our Creator, then the greatest news we can receive is that our Creator is in our midst. If we find ourselves in existence and we find that we are imperfect, the greatest news we can receive is that the Lord has removed the judgment against us. That that imperfection that we all feel and confront in ourselves has been healed and removed. That the longing that we have for our Creator is overcome by His presence. This is the most joyful message humanity can receive. Now when we talk about the Lord removing judgment from our midst, removing that imperfection, that guilt that we might feel... He doesn't do so grudgingly. There are definitely images of God where Christianity has preached now for two centuries. Jesus has removed our sin on the cross. Somehow we are reconciled with God, and yet we're still given an image of God where he's like, ah, fine, I guess I'll forgive your sins, whatever. It's not how God works. That's not his attitude. Zephaniah continues... He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. There's an image. 
He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. I remember one of the happiest years of my life, for whatever reason, was my sophomore year in high school, particularly in the spring. The sun was coming out. My high school had beautiful cherry blossoms. I had a new crush that was giving me life, you know, like thinking about her was just so joyful. And I find myself whistling. I was whistling every day on my way to class, which I'm sure was annoying to the people around me, but it was just such a joyful time. That's the image Zephaniah is using. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. If you've been in love, you know that image. You know what it's like to sing joyfully because of a person. That's what God does over us. When he removes our judgment, when he removes the judgment from our midst, when he is in our midst, he doesn't do so grudgingly. He doesn't do so because he has to. He does so out of an incredible joy and thanksgiving. He rejoices over you. He sings joyfully because of you. You bring God joy. You cause him to rejoice. This is the foundation of Christianity. When we talk about God being love, this is what we mean. The Lord desires to be with us. He desires to overcome the longing and the imperfection we feel when we become aware of our existence. A lot of times, Christianity, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this plenty, is reduced to moral actions. You should do this, you should do that, you should do this, you should do that. Some people think that Christianity focuses too much on sexual issues. Other people reduce Christianity to social issues. Both are moralistic. Both begin with, this is what you have to do. Instead, Christianity has moral demands. I'm not saying we should ignore the sexual teachings or the social justice teachings. We have moral demands. But we don't start with the moral demands. We start by realizing the Lord rejoices over us. The Lord has removed the judgment from us. This creates in us an incredible joy and thanksgiving. And so what does St. Paul say in our second reading? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. When the Lord rejoices over us, our natural response to being loved, to being healed, to being rejoiced over, is ourselves to respond with joy and thanksgiving. Again, if you have been in love, you will know what this is like. To receive love from somebody else causes us to want to love in return. This is the dynamic of Christianity. God always leads. He always begins. He is the first one to rejoice over us. But then our natural response, the thing that wells up in our soul, that wells up in our heart, is for us to rejoice in Him, to rejoice mutually in each other. And then St. Paul continues, after he tells us to rejoice, Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Now we're talking about our actions. 
Once we realize that the Lord rejoices over us, once we rejoice again in him, then that rejoicing, that love that wells up in our soul, that results in action. Making our kindness known to all, having no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. We respond back to the action that the Lord himself has taken. Everything we do is because we are compelled by the love of Christ for us. Jesus loved us, and now we love him and each other. One last thing to say about this. Our gospel ends with a difficult image. When St. John the Baptist is describing our Lord Jesus Christ, he says that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. For many people, that doesn't sound like love. It doesn't sound like the Lord rejoicing over us. But in my own experience, the love of God is purifying. The images of our first two readings, it's joyful, and it absolutely is, because it overcomes the deepest longing of our humanity. But it's also purifying. I was on a retreat my junior year of college. It was a charismatic retreat. A lot of things happened. But the big experience that I had is that I had for the first, and I might say last time, although the Lord can continue to work, but I had in a very special way, in a unique way in my life, an understanding of the infinity of the love of God. An understanding that his love does not depend on my actions. It does not depend on what I do. The phrase given to me that I've never let go of is, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. No matter what sin I commit, his love remains infinite. No matter how many good actions I do, his love does not increase because it's already infinite. And the first time I understood that, It was incredibly painful. I had a pain in my chest. It felt like fire. Now, it was a charismatic retreat, so we weren't necessarily afraid of of physical actions, but I found myself on the floor rolling around because the pain was too much. The love of God was purifying my heart. Understanding how much God loved me hurt me because it was too much for me. My humanity desired it so much, but it was purifying me. That's what St. John the Baptist means when he says that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When the Lord loves you and you receive that love, that rejoicing over you fully and completely, it will burn you like fire. It will burn away your imperfections. It will take your soul and it will transform it. And a transformation is never easy and it's never without pain. When the Lord says that he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire, we can interpret that, and Christians have for centuries, as people. Some people are wheat, some people are chaff. We can also interpret that as the contents of our own soul. When the Lord baptizes us with the fire of his love, 
He will burn with unquenchable fire those things that cannot coexist with him. When we let his love take over our souls completely, he will burn out all those things that do not lead us closer to him. It is an incredibly powerful experience to experience the love of God. That love, almost always, for me, before and after, was a joyful love. I knew that the Lord rejoiced over me, and I rejoiced in him. But in order to get to that joy, I also had to go through the fire. I also had to allow him to purify me. If you ever doubt, if you ever doubt how much God loves you, go back to that first reading from Zephaniah. Read again the words that his judgment against you has been removed and that he sings over you as one sings at festivals. If you dwell on those words long enough, you will open your hearts to the infinite and perfect and unending love of God. That love will purify you so that your soul can contain more joy than you ever thought was possible.